On today's Total Water Polo podcast, we continue our dive into the recently completed Tokyo Olympic Games with a conversation with Alex Bowen, leading scorer for the USA men, who finished sixth in the tournament and who is now headed back to Europe in just a matter of weeks. Alex Bowen. A four-year All-American at Stanford, where he scored over 200 goals, 2015 Catino Award finalist and now two-time Olympian. Alex Bowen has established himself as one of, or maybe the most threatening shooter in the United States. He finished fourth in scoring at the recently completed Tokyo Olympics with 18 goals. He and his teammates finished an improved sixth in the tournament. We're going to talk about that. He joins me via Zoom from San Diego. Thank you very much for your time, Alex. Thank you for having me. I hesitate to call you Alex because how many Alexes are associated with the team? Like you're, I know Obert is Obi. Uh, you're mm-hmm. the, are you, do people call you just brick? Yeah. Brick or Bowen or Bowen. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's your, this was your second Olympics. Um, I'm first of all, assuming that the food was better than it was in Rio, but, um, yeah, <laughs> overall, <laughs> maybe you could just describe your overall experience, given that now you're a veteran, you're one of the, mm-hmm. the experienced players on the team and that the games were obviously affected by COVID. So we're going to get into the competition, but I'm curious about your insights about what your experience was there. Just overall, the entire experience. Overall, the entire experience, I mean, it was positive. I mean, it, it, uh, Tokyo did a great job hosting everything. Um, it's just there, there was obviously something missing, and that was the fans. Um, there's a little the, – the, the village was a little bit less social than it has been – than it was in Rio. Uh, but, that, I mean, that's to be expected. It's just there's that social aspect and the fan aspect that was just missing from it take those out and the venues were incredible uh the all of the volunteers were amazing uh like after the first couple days everything started moving without a hitch um yeah they did a great job uh it's just the missing the fans and the social aspect that was just a little bit different well, you know, I, I didn't even really want to ask you about that because I, I thought that maybe you and others would tire of that question about the lack of fans. I've been asking this of people for well over a year now for obvious reasons. But oh, yeah. you, you mentioned it without me asking. So it clearly had some effect on you, at least, that you just sort of wish there were fans there. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, it's a, it, the Olympics is an experience, first and for, foremost. And uh, being able to share that with fans is uh, one of the big parts about the Olympics. So it's like it was very unfortunate that there weren't anybody there wasn't anybody there. But show must go on. You got to keep going. Right. All right. And um, I just have one question. I I am aware of past Olympics in which athletes have taken like an entire suitcase full of their own food because they can't deal without Mm -hmm. naming names. Anybody did that on this on this trip or or you don't want to. Oh, I mean, we we had uh, we had help from our nutritionist. We had a bunch of snacks going in because we went to Hawaii first and then uh, and then Tokyo. But yeah, no, it's it's important to have your own like supply <laughs> stash. <laughs> just, yeah, just in case something goes weird. Uh, but uh, like the the dining the the dining hall was open for twenty four hour twenty four hours a day. Um, you could always get something out there, but it was like being able to 
it, it was also kind of a process. You had to go in, check your bag, go upstairs, uh, like wash hands, grab uh, every had to wear gloves for. Oh, you did. Thing. And then it was just like, so getting through that process, it's like, depends on how long the line for the for bag drop off is. But I don't know, there's some, some you can't really hit the, hit that before going to practice. So you have your snack before practice, have your coffee before practice. And, that's a uh, that's actually a bit well. It's, besides being a drag, like you have to put on gloves, and it, that really does change the experience. I mean, because again, you you're you're accustomed to be able to just sort of drop in and get what you want, but it just made the process much longer. How interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, it wasn't added by yeah. any means. It was just like uh, like a lot of this stuff is like, yep, understand, got to follow the rules. Like it's just the it's yeah, uh, not yeah. bad, just annoying. In Rio, did you meet a bunch of sort of, you know, stars, whether they're American or otherwise of other sports? And that was not the case in Tokyo or because you, you, you did mention that the socialization was just not as great. Mm-hmm. Um, well, no, I mean, we saw a lot of people. Um, we we ended up walking in, in opening ceremonies, which was really cool. So I got to meet a bunch of people. We were up to the front. So we saw Eddie Alvarez and the entire women's basketball team. And they were awesome they were great people they were really uh excited to be there energy was really high and uh the teams that went we were able to like talk uh but we I mean, obviously all had masks on everything like that we we're covid protocol safe but we were able to talk and learn a bit from other people so i met a bunch of the fencers i met one of our representatives for the women's tennis um yeah uh, there's some people i was trying to find that like, like i knew that Stanford. Oh, Alex Masilius, who's one of our, who's the fencer, he ended up winning bronze in the uh, uh, in the team event. Um, but he was under quarantine the whole time, so he had a close contact. So he was under strict quarantine for like two weeks. Um, he was he was like able to he had to stay in a hotel and was able to leave for like two hours to train with his coach, and then he was back in the hotel. Wow. So, luckily. <laughs> didn't have to go through that but no kevin durant uh no we saw them opening ceremonies too the men's nice. men's team was right there with the women's team he was uh just great dude took pictures with everybody talked with everybody joking around with everybody like him Draymond, like the whole basketball team was there it was really it was awesome experience just like see all the the crazy like famous people <laughs> great uh, let's move on to competition um so uh, let's do a little refresher your first games against japan you beat them 15 13 mm-hmm. yeah. um their coach was quoted after the game as saying that they had unveiled this brand new defense that really knocked you off balance i mean he i think he meant it in terms of it's going to knock everyone off balance but you were mm-hmm. obviously their first subject um yeah it, and it looked like it took it did look like it took time to adjust mm-hmm. to that just bizarre sort of Olay style brand of defense where they're essentially mm-hmm. just giving up inside water purposely. How, oh, yeah. how much about, well, did it change as much as their coach was suggesting? Cause it's been similar to that in the past. And did you know about it or, or did it, and did it still take time to adjust even though you knew about it? Well, so here's the thing their, their new defense. I saw it before. They came to Croatia when I was there with Mladost and they tested, they were testing it 
in 2019. I remembered it. I told the coaches, like, it was like, they did something weird. They did something different, but it was, it was their zone. Their zone was different because they wanted to change it up, which I don't, which was an interesting move for them because most of their offense is based on their counterattack. So they were, so they dropped back into this four, two zone um, basically played without a defender and just had, just had two guys split the, split the center and then they'd split the outside. Um, it's a, it's an interesting defense. It just didn't, I don't think it helped them with their counterattack. So they, when they rolled that out, obviously we, we hadn't seen it from them yet and we just played them in Georgia too. So we weren't like, we didn't, we didn't expect anything new from them, but they, they did it. They had something up their sleeve and it threw us off a little bit. I mean, uh, adjusted to it, fixed it, and then started, I mean, like started shooting better from outside, which was how we needed to attack that zone. Like if we, we just don't shoot from three, so you don't give up the two on one and then drop it off and let somebody else shoot because they, they aren't great against outside shots. Were you nervous before that first game? I mean, you, you're again, you're oh, a veteran. Course. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I mean like it's nerves, excitement, everything It's going up for the, for the Olympics. It's things we've trained for, for five years now. Would you say that I had, a, had an effect on, you had what I would could, you know, call maybe a bit of a slow start in that game. And that could be mm -hmm. for all kinds of reasons, but would you say that that's, that had its effects as well? Yeah. I mean like, well, the first quarter three, three, I'm, pretty yep. sure and then we fell behind seven four in the second quarter um we just we lost our momentum a little bit second quarter wasn't great um but we stuck with it charge on a charge back brought it all back in the third quarter and the fourth quarter um yeah i mean we just that's just what japan does they throw you off their rhythm they throw you off your rhythm try and uh if you're stuck in theirs which is kind of a really high paced uh, and you make a mistake, it starts to snowball on you. And it's just how fast can you get out of it and get back to your own tempo to, to beat them or, or you don't beat them. Yeah. Um, next game, South Africa, you beat them up pretty good 20 to three. And I'm curious about a game like that is, mm -hmm. are you even able to relax even sort of mentally when you're playing a team that let's be honest, had extremely low probability of being able to beat you, let alone compete. Mm -hmm. um, it's just, it, it's, it's just keep the focus. Don't freak out on anything. Just like play the game, play the play through what we're trying to do. Uh, work on the six on five, work on the defense, work on communication, just work on making the, make sure those, uh, those connectors are there. And then move forward because that's all you can do for that kind of game. Uh, in the course of a game like that, which you had beaten Japan, you knew that if you beat South Africa that you would be moving on. Is that mm -hmm. even a thought that crosses your mind in the course of the game or is it something you sort of wait until the end of the game? And go, oh, OK, there we go. I, I think we started thinking about that right after the Japan game. OK, so but uh, it, it's when we got there, it wasn't that at all it was just like let's take care of business here and then let's get after italy the next game which you did so uh you lost by one it was a close game yeah. 
Um, you lost by one in the prelims, but then in the uh, classification round, you beat them by one. So what was the difference mm -hmm. between those two games? Um, we, uh, we limited our mistakes. I mean, the, the, the score kind of got away from us there. I think the final score was what? 13, 12 or 12, 11, um, for the first game. So that we were up and unfortunately let them back into the game and we couldn't shut down their shooters. And then in the, in the second game we played against them, we shut down their shooters better. We shut down the guys who were making the most shots, taking the most shots. And, uh, yeah, ended up with a win. It was great. It was great uh, uh, effort on our part at the end, and I'm very proud of the guys for it. Twelve eleven in that first game. You're right about that. Mm -hmm. um, the um, the the you just mentioned what what a how, like matter of pride it was to win that second game. Is that mm -hmm. matched by your level of disappointment in the first one because you did beat Italy and Georgia earlier in the summer? Uh, yeah. I mean, a little bit of a little bit of disappointment. We we had the game. We just couldn't finish it, and we were we were up. We had it in our grasp, and we and we couldn't finish it. And that was a that was a problem. We we're trying to get over that as fast as possible, and uh, couldn't, unfortunately. <laughs> so, yeah. I want to I want to sort of uh, go off on a tangent a little bit. Um, there are similarities between the impressions of American water polo and American soccer amongst those who play in you know, football. So those who, sure. And one of the words that gets used when um, American soccer players go to Europe is that they're naive. And what hmm. I think is meant by that, and you can tell me, is there's a sort of inherent sort of optimism, can-do kind of attitude amongst Americans. And the Europeans want to play with your mind essentially during games now i would argue the italian game in georgia was a master class in playing what mm -hmm. we used to call baby games but they failed like you overcame yeah. it but mm -hmm. you go to the olympics and it's and all of you now have european experience so it's a little bit different mm -hmm. but do you think i mean it, it seems like that's really part of their game plan is to try to get in your head yeah well i mean it, it it's it's there is like i mean naivete and, and unawareness and it's something you have to be aware with with uh with the italians the spanish with a lot of other teams um a lot of specific players honestly is, is is the ones that that you have to be aware the entire time and it's with the with centers it's aware of their movements about their rollouts and all that kind of stuff because the center position now is all about dry balls holy position and dry balls. Like that's the best, that's the best centers in the world are great at those two things. And uh, when some of the best centers in the world are able to make that move, get a hold and then fake a little bit, draw the ejection off ball, that's becoming like the pinnacle of, of, of centers right now. That's becoming like, not the pinnacle, but that's becoming a very important part of the center. And that's just the way the game's being called. So if you're not aware of what the center is going to be doing this spin, doing this grab, it's going to end badly for you and the, and the team. There's, there's just other things like naive, I guess is, I feel like it's just a little bit harsh for it, but mm -hmm. there's, there's just a slight bit of uh, unawareness, awareness that needs to be placed on some, on some of these players. 
Speaking of center shots, mm-hmm. do, you want, do you know who the, the top two ranked sh- center shooters were for the Olympics? Oh, yeah, Obert and, Obert and Halleck. Two guys named Alex Obert and Ben Halleck. Um, mm-hmm. but, and a really, again, this is a bit parenthetical. It's not in part of my notes, but really excellent tournament from the center play in, in oh, yeah. on the American side. And I mention it because I think I think Tony even was talking about it during the game where the style, uh, quote unquote, of American play is play hard defense, get out on the counterattack, lots of movement, lots of motion. And that is traditionally mm-hmm. speaking what the American style has been. But here mm-hmm. it is at the end of the tournament. You had two offensive juggernauts at center when maybe you didn't expect that. Am I am I wrong in that? No, I mean, Ben Halleck is the best center in the world. Period. What do you mean by that? Because I heard Dayon say the same thing. What what is what makes him the best center in the world? He has all the skills the center needs. He's got a great shot, holds position really well, has a great uh, dry uh, release, uh, is great on the post for six on five. Like everything you need from him, he is there. He's very strong, does his job the best of his ability, and he's super aware of of getting passes from everybody. I've heard that he's uh, he kind of mean too, in the sense of water <laughs> you, have <laughs> you have to be, um, especially in that position. Otherwise, you're just going to get taken advantage of. Right? He's not. It's not out like he's torturing kittens. It's that he's uh, in the game situation. He is. He has to be physical and is. So that mm-hmm. that that was at least what I've heard. So. Oh yeah. Uh, um, Greece. So, um, you had already secured a spot in the quarters. Um, Greece was, but Greece was aiming at a top spot in the table. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and so there was some speculation that you didn't play at, to your best abilities because you didn't need to, do you have a response to that? Um, no, I mean, we, that was probably the most, that was probably the worst game uh, we had, that was the worst game we had in the tournament. Um, we just couldn't get started. Uh, couldn't find that extra something to push us through. And it just, and, and, and we fell apart. It was, it was really bad. We weren't, we're, we weren't, we're not very happy about that game still. And, uh, it, we don't think it represented us in the best light or we didn't, it didn't represent us how we want to be represented. So we, we weren't very, we were not happy with that game. The you, you Max, Hannes Dobe mm-hmm. all have specific experience playing in Greece. So you mm-hmm. tend to know all of those Greek players, I would say. Oh yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Were you surprised at how well they played? Because I, they, for, if you read the press, not American press necessarily, but European press, there was a bit of a surprise mm-hmm. in how well they played. Were you surprised overall? Oh. Um, yeah, no, I mean, they were, they played to the best of their ability. They played to the best of their, uh, the best of their talent, the best of their potential, um, which, I mean, that's what it's all about, like getting to the most of your potential. And they did. Um, they had their young guys stepped up, their old guys led the way. Like it was, uh, it, it was really, it was a really great tournament for them. They peaked at the right time as well. So they they made it through the quarters, made it through the semis, and they, yeah, they just peaked at the right time, played the best, played the best best water polo I've I've seen them play. So, I mean, congratulations to them. Uh, as for the unexpected, yeah, I mean, they, the European Championships, they did okay. 
they did what they were expected to. I can't remember what they what they placed, but they I don't think they were in the finals. And then for uh, the last chance tournament, they beat uh, who did they beat? They beat Russia in the semi to to make it through. And they had a couple games that were a little bit lackluster for them. I think they had uh, a one goal game against Georgia or something along the lines of that. They had like a couple games that weren't their best and they won the semi made us, made, they won, they won the semi, so they didn't have to worry about the final, but yeah, no, I mean, they were, they're, they're a good team and it's, they played to the best of, of their ability. They had good centers, good defender, um, good outside shooters. So, and their goalie played their goal. I, how, how can I talk, talk about Zerdavas? Zerdavas played the best I've ever seen him play. Like he was, uh, he played really, really, really well. We've reached the end of the first half of our conversation today and we'll return in just a moment. All of Total Water Polo is brought to you advertising free and we'd like to keep it that way. So we're asking for your help. Show your support by going to totalwaterpolo.com forward slash give so we can continue to cover the sport we all love in the United States and beyond. And now, part two of today's conversation. You've uh, made it abundantly clear that you were you and your teammates were all displeased with the result and the way that you played mm-hmm. in the entire game. What happens after a game like that, or what happened after that game? How do, is it easy to recover to sort of wipe it from your mind and get ready for the next one, or or is it something that you guys have to talk about as a team? Uh, we we definitely talked about it as a team. We brought everybody together, tried to reconnect. Do all do everything we could possibly do outside of the water and inside the water to get us refocused for that next uh, quarterfinal game. Um, yeah, we had like a couple. We had multiple meetings, multiple meetings like with ourselves to like get ourselves ready, get ourselves like hyped up for the game and everything. Like we, it was a bit. It was a pretty big, pretty hard reset for the team. Hard reset meaning made it, it might have been a bit challenging. Like the conversations may have been a little a little bit challenging amongst one another. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, this uh, lost to, to Spain in the quarters. Mm-hmm. I thought that they. It's weird. They, in a strange way, underperformed because I they looked gold medal ready. Like it looked like a Greece oh, yeah. Spain kind of final. They were really good. Um, what was it about that game that you may have expected or not? Because it's, again, it seemed to me, it's not that they came out of the blue, but it just did mm-hmm. not really register with me that they were poised to um, even final. Yeah. Well, I mean, Spain's been having the last five years, Spain's been very good. And uh, they've always been just one game away. So world championships, they beat Croatia or world championships in Guangzhou. Uh, they beat Croatia in the semi, who's Croatia was the heavy favorite for that world championships. Beat Croatia in semi, lose to Italy in the final. Uh, I think Europeans, they also beat, do they beat Croatia? Yeah, also beat Croatia. They go to the final against uh, Hungary and lose to Hungary. And then, like they were, they've been in it for a lot, for every every tournament they've been in the mix. They've been up to up towards the top. They had great leadership of Perone, and they had great younger players that were 
very instrumental in their in their rise. Uh, I mean, Granados has been, I mean, he's been crushing the Champions Leagues. He was the leading goal scorer for Champions League, I think, the last time, and the, and in the shortened 2020 version too. I mean, he was he goes off and he gets goals. He's a bucket. Um, they've got Robert Tahul, who's or Roger Tahul, who's very very talented center. Del Toro, who's very strong, holds position, does his job, great center. Um, and then there, um, oh, why am I not remembering his name? Um, oh, their other scorer, who he moves all over the place, plays defender, plays right side, plays left side. Um, why am I not remembering his name? I'm usually better at names than this. <laughs> Um, but do you know who I'm talking about? Number two, mm. Munaris. There it is. There you go. Got got it back to it. Anyway, Munaris, he's great, great player as well. And then their their lefty. Um, oh, I'm gonna do it again now. <laughs> but their lefty is also really talented. So they their their team is put together pretty well. And uh, with the with the experience of Lopez and the goal, like they had a pretty solid, pretty built up team. Now that semi-final against they played against serbia might have been the best game i've ever seen mm. and we were in the crowd for that and it was incredible wow uh, it was a huge comeback yeah huge amazing amazing water polo being played and uh and then i, I don't know what happened to them against hungary I, they it seems like they have a block against hungary i don't know what it is but uh, i think hungary has a better record against them but spain has a better record against Serbia and Serbia has a better record against Hungary. Like it's this weird triangle, but Serbia got out of it. Right. They sure did. Um, you, you've just mentioned all, all of these European players and you've become mm-hmm. much more, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, intimate with them in the sense that you play against them much more often. Oh, yeah. This is the, this is, I believe the most number of American players who've gone overseas to Europe to play professionally, maybe ever. Um, what can you tell us about that as far as the way that it it has affected your team? Like it, what do it, what maybe have you learned collectively, um, by doing so by going to Europe that you may not have otherwise? Well, it's, it's all about just experience, getting the games in, you know, playing, playing at a professional level and, getting the best games you can possibly get. So because when COVID hit for us, like we didn't have a place to go. The women were able to use the base and stay for full-time training. We were talking about staying for full-time training and then we just didn't have a pool to go to. So it switched to everybody let's go abroad. Let's see what happens. And, uh, the Greek league was, was open to a lot of us. So we all went out. I is think it, everybody had pretty good experiences too. Okay. And, but is it just getting game experience? There's clearly that's super important and you're at an extremely <laughs> elevated level, but what about coaching or the dynamics of teams that are just different in Europe? Like what were, what may have those had, how have, would those maybe have had an effect on your, on your play over the last couple of years as a team? Um, well, that's a good question. Um, it's, huh. I mean, I, it, it's important to get different perspectives 
to, to learn a little bit about the game just in general. And I think different coaching helps you with that. Um, getting the experience playing against other people, having different looks of what different coaches want. Uh, like different coaches want specific things to happen for specific defenses. So seeing that maybe a, able to apply that into your own game and that kind of stuff is, is important seeing, seeing how different looks affect different things. So that for me, that's, that's the way I've kind of taken it. I've had a wide array of coaching. Uh, I've had some good coaching. I've had some not so good coaching abroad, but it's been all of it's been, there's always been, uh, I, I try and always take something positive from every coach. I try to take, I try to take, something positive and be able to adapt it to my game. And I think I've done that with every coach that I've had. Um, yeah. So it, it's experience is very specific instances that you, that you, that you learn about when you play. Well, g- given all the talk that we've had about Europe, mm-hmm. I, one of my favorite questions is this, and this is probably been going on since before you were born, which is what is the American style and should we be trying to mimic more the successful teams from and in this era from Europe, or mm-hmm. should we stick with what it is that we are, have been accustomed to in the U S which is to simplify enormously is, is again, pretty hard defense trying to get out on the break. Um, lots of movement. That's, that's a very simplified way. It's, it's the day on versus uh, Dante, uh, kind mm-hmm. of, uh, conversation do you have an opinion on this is there an american style and if so what is it oh there's definitely an american style it's it's been kind of repeated by a lot of different coaches and yeah it's i mean play hard defense get out on the break and uh and and then play with some movement and it's important and we did that while we were abroad we just also had two great centers so it's you have to be able to adapt to uh, somebody, you have to be able to adapt to some of the talent on, on the team, like being able to use Ben, use Obert, and and also use uh, me because like I'm, I I have some movement, but I'm mostly taking outside shots. So finding that, and it's it's adapting in between those. But like when we're running plays, when we're doing movement, we're doing it for a purpose. And uh, I think the rest of the world is starting to key in on some of our quote unquote plays um and it, they've been they've proved effective for us uh for for our uh production and everything so it, it helps us either draw an ejection or get get the right look and uh like other other teams in the world are noticing this and trying to, and running something maybe run one or two plays you like Obviously, it's a lot less than what we're running, but there are some some looks specifically out like after goal that some t- some teams are trying are taking from us. But um, yeah, it's a, it, there's a style of play, but it, it it adapts to who we have available. I think the U.S. is actually a bit underrated. I mean, because there's a bit. Of, I, I'm going to say this: you don't have to, but there's a great deal of European snobbery about uh, water polo, but. I think Americans don't necessarily understand how much influence the U.S. game has had on them. 
And mm-hmm. uh, you just mentioned some of it that they're taking things that you've done. But, you know, back in the day, like the, they weren't running picks until, you know, Americans took that basketball technique and put that into place. Exactly. So yeah. I think over time, like that, it'll it'll come to play again. Once again, that uh, that the Americans have more influence on the game than they might think. Anyway, small editorial yeah. there. Oh, it's 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 bringing something new. Like there's always you always have to be able to bring something new. I mean, that's what that's why people have been uh, so high in Japan the last couple of years is because they're they're super high press and counterattack combination is uh, a very it's it's a great combination. They they feed each other pretty well. And it's fun. to Now. Watch. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun to watch. It's uh, it's it, it's good. Now, when I was in Hungary, uh, some teams started to adapt to it and started started to play it a little bit more. And it's more situationally, like not playing it the entire game, but here and there, let's throw out a press. Let's uh, We're down two. Let's super high press and try and uh, take the momentum back. Um, yeah, and, like even we had some some instances where we put, where we had uh, a defender that wasn't, maybe not a full defender, but we were, but we, throw them in there and we go full press because they're a little smaller, a little bit slipperier, slipperier and uh, gives the, gives the center a little, little bit of a problem, but throws the offense off a little bit. Let's uh, now that I've critiqued Europe, of course, um, let's go back and talk about your, your experience. You played in Greece, Croatia, Mm -hmm. Hungary. Uh, Sounds like you're heading off to Partizan in Serbia Mm -hmm. um, for the coming season. Um, all all over the place, Alex, geez. Um, so, but let's go back to your days at Stanford at the time. Did you, did you just know that you wanted to play in Europe? And if so, I'm curious about your, the first time you stepped ground with your team in Hungary, what, Mm -hmm. how, what were the surprises that you experienced or were you pretty well prepared for what it was going to be like to play on a European club team? Huh? So, yeah, well, I knew I was going to go play abroad. Um, my first season was actually only a half season in Romania. Mm. Um, that was weird because I just didn't know anybody going in. And, uh, yeah, first, like, I, I showed up the day before my birthday. And it's like my birthday's on a Sunday. We got practice Monday. And I'm just like, okay, happy birthday to me. <laughs> <laughs> just by myself in my apartment. And, uh, yeah, so it's just kind of a weird, I mean, like it, it throwing on, go, jumping on your first team is always kind of weird. Um, but, uh, that experience was a little bit different going into going to Hungary after 2016, we just trained with Montenegro. So I played with, uh, Sasha, who was their center at the time, uh, and like had his number and I was texting him before I arrived. And, uh, he was a great, he's a great friend of mine, played, played all played three years with him at Mischkoltz. And now he's in France, I think. Um, I don't know where, I think he's probably going to stay in France for this year. Um, but yeah, great guy played with him, played against a couple of the other guys. And, uh, I mean, had a, had a good group of guys over there. Um, but like after the first like couple games when they, it it was, it was cool. Like, Hungary didn't know who I was at, at first. So I got a lot of shots and it was awesome. I was 
my first year there, I was the second leading goal scorer. And I think I was shooting maybe like 35%, but it was just like, it was great though. I was getting like, I was shoot, I had like three goals a game. I was taking 10 shots, but it was like, fine. <laughs> and then uh, teams started to realize like, Hey, maybe we don't let him shoot all the time. <laughs> <laughs> my, uh, so my second year I ended up winning the, winning the goal title, but like, and my shoot, but my shooting percentage was like 50 or 60%. Like I, it was, it like jumped up like significantly. The quality of shots had to change. I had to make that adjustment, but yeah, it was after the first couple of games, it was like I got in my rhythm and it was like, okay, yeah, I belong here. I'm, I'm a good player. Like I belong here. Let's, let's move on and do the best I can. How did you adjust your shot? What were what were the sort of technical differences that you had, that you discovered that you needed to make? Oh, it was just it was positioning mostly, positioning and uh, shot selection. I think it because it, it turned into what it was at first. It was like okay, let's one on one shooting, uh, or put the ball into center, and that was that was great. That was easy. Uh, and then after that, it's like okay, now I got to adjust this, move this. I need to be in this position. Um, it, some subtle changes, but mostly it was positioning and uh, shot selection. To the point of saying my right toe needs to be pointing this way. My shoulders need to be turned, my hips so uh, on and so forth. Maybe, maybe not toes. Not quite so technically. Hips. I mean, hip position is very important, especially when you're, when you're playing the right side. Um, being stacked, but also having a little bit of, little bit of the left hip in front of the right hip get body turned so you're when you're catching cross face you're already in your best shooting position um and then working on my fakes from those positions as well seeing what if i catch if i catch something quick what's a goalie doing it, 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 what is one fake going to do here versus one fake going to do here like figuring out what natural reactions are to to, to different positions and different catches and different fakes you're uh, you're well known for the chop. What's the chop? Yeah, yeah. What is it for those who might not know? <laughs> so, uh, 2019, I just came back from uh, just came back from Hungary, and I was at a Padre game with my dad, and uh, just talking about water polo and like how water polo celebrations are boring. It's all the same thing. It's a it's a fist pump. It's a scream. Figure maybe it's sky. a sky. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's very basic. And we're watching the Padres. I'm a big Padre fan. Me and my dad both are. Uh, love to go to games. Petco Park, best best baseball park, best baseball stadium in the world. Um, but, yeah, so, like, at the time, 2019, Fernando Tatis comes in, and after every hit, the whole team does the chop. They're on base. They look at the dugout, hit the chop. And I'm like, yes. What if I did that after a game? And my dad's like, do it. That'd be awesome. So I, I started doing it at World Championships, and it stuck for me. Have people like, at, like people ask me, like, what is this? Like, the Europeans, like, what is this? What are you doing? I'm like, you don't need to know. <laughs> it just, it all, it stuck with me. And now I'm known as, uh, that's my thing now and now the Padres stopped doing it so like I lost the connection there but now it's my thing so it, it's it's just something for me like reconnect with where I'm from where we're like and reconnect with my dad 
uh, actually, I don't know the genesis of it with the Padres. The chop for them when they were doing it meant yeah. what? What is it just, you know, we're. Oh, it was it was something from uh, the Dominican Republic and it was, mm. it was like the sugarcane chop. Got so it. like get they would like come down. They would like bend, bend the knees a little bit more and get a little bit lower on the chop. But uh, can't really go <laughs> low with that in the water. So, um yeah, so it was a sugarcane chop. It was something about it was something Dominican. See, the details are everything. I, I don't, these are things I didn't know, so I, I'm very, yeah. very glad I asked about that. Now, you you said that the Europeans were clueless about what this was, but I think yeah. during one of your games, it might have been Greece, that yeah. somebody on their team did something akin to the chop, and I thought, uh, oh boy, is he mocking? Alex or is it his own version or did you I don't know if you're aware of this I didn't see it no I didn't see it I am not going back to look at all the game film I'm just not going to do that but I swear that there was something like that that either I Mm. I couldn't figure it out where this other person was trying his own thing and it looked Mm. very similar to the chop or if he was you know taking a little hack at you so I'm if I find it I will send it to you but I didn't know if you're aware of that yeah What's next? I mean, obviously you're off to partisan. Um, mm-hmm. The what's next for you with the U.S. national team, and what's the word? If there's any word about coaching staff, I mean, you can share it. But I'm also just curious. It's only three years to Paris, so it must be mm-hmm. something that's on your mind. Oh yeah, no, it's I'm I'm fully locked and loaded for Paris. This next summer is going to be a little crazy, a little weird. Everything's packed in. We got world championships in May. So that's going to be different. Um, early world champs. And I think we're going to have, I think most teams are, I, from what I hear, they're going to try and finish the professional season after world championships. Mm. So I think what's going to happen is world championships is in Fukuoka, Japan. So we're going back to Japan, back to Japan. Uh, and then I think I'll go back to Belgrade finish the season and then i don't know the european championships is after that and then we have uh world cup after that but i think world cup is in september october um from what i remember just off the top of my head about next year's schedule um yeah i'm fully committed for team usa uh haven't heard anything about uh anything about the rest of the team about coaching staff and that kind of stuff. I think we're supposed to have an exit interview before I leave for uh, Belgrade. Got it. Um, Jesse Smith just finished his fifth Olympics. Tony Osvedo had five. Is that a name that you might have uh, to maybe match them? Uh, I don't think I got the years. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I think I'll I'll be 30 for the next Olympics, 34 for LA, 38 for i think what is it melbourne or brisbane brisbane's 32 i i'm i I'll, I'll, i'm gonna rule that one out <laughs> now but uh well, you heard her here first definitely for paris yeah definitely for paris and uh and I, i'm don't know yet for la but pretty close to 
doing that too. Well, isn't, we'll isn't, see. isn't Jesse Smith like 54 years old at this point? I mean, how many <laughs> kids do you need to have before you quit the Olympics? Five Olympics, five kids. <laughs> that is a record. Um, Alex, it's really been a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you very much for your time. And um, I, I was going to say, I know you're busy, but I actually think that you're probably not quite that busy, which is a good thing, but I yeah, still well. very much appreciate your time. Oh, thank you. Appreciate appreciate coming on. Uh, it was good to talk. That's it for today. We'll return soon with more of the Total Water Polo Podcast, but thank you for listening and telling a friend about us. And of course, subscribe and do all that podcasty stuff on most of the biggest uh, distribution channels. Also, go to TotalWaterPolo.com forward slash give to help us remain advertising free. And while you're there, go check out our collection of Total Water Polo and TX Water Polo goodies by clicking gear at the top of the menu. Until next time, so long from Austin, Texas. This has been a production of TWP Sports LLC.